Welcome to The Shalene Show. Shalene is a New York Times bestselling author, celebrity fitness trainer, and obsessed with helping you live your dream life. Yo, so you have found your way to The Shalene Show, and I am incredibly grateful for you. There are a bajillion podcasts out there today. First of all, thank you to every single one of you who right now you're thinking about someone who needs to maybe listen to this episode and you care enough about them to share this episode. If this program has helped your life, and I hope it has, and if you're new, I invite you to enjoy the process, to enjoy the journey. We talk about all different kinds of things on this show, everything that could possibly improve your life. We talk about it here. And a lot of these topics are selected by you, the listeners. So if you ever have an idea for a show, something that I haven't talked about, first, just double check iTunes. All you have to do is type in my name and then the topic, and it will probably pop up. But if it doesn't, or if you'd like an update on that topic, just leave me a voicemail message. You can do so by going to my website. It's shaleen.com. And there's a little widget there that allows you to record a voicemail message like the one I got today from my girl. I'm not going to use her name because I just don't know if she wants us to stay confidential, but I want to share this message with you. All right, girl. So listen, I just finished listening to 540 adult children of alcoholics and I'm just trying to go on my morning run. Okay, but you have me pulling over to the side of the track to wipe my tears because I feel this one in my chest because it spoke to me so profoundly. She hit it right on the head. I'm going to turn 29 next month and I feel like something is off. I'm an adult. I should have it together. And she just got it. Every single thing down to being the oldest child. I can't believe it. So. I'm telling you, thank you so much. You were put on this earth to do this work. And I'm so grateful to you. So anyways, I'm going to continue my run now. And it's going to be a great run. I can just feel it. And I'm totally bringing this up to my therapist later. But anyways, I love you. I mean it. And I can't wait to listen again soon. Bye. You just made my whole year with that message. and I just. Thank you. Like to hear someone say that I was meant to do this, it just, ugh, I don't have words for the way you make me feel. I can't wait for Jody to hear your message. And thank you to every single one of you who have reached out to her since our first episode, which was episode 540, the episode just prior to this one. Today's episode is equally important all week long. All of these are really important. Even if you weren't the child of an alcoholic or an addict, I guarantee this is going to touch your life. I guarantee you have a very good friend, a coworker, a spouse, someone who you love, someone who's close to you, who's either dealing with, has dealt with this, or it has impacted their life. And this is what you need to hear today. We're talking about lifting the shame, understanding codependency, guilt, boundaries, and what it means to start living life in your terms. If you haven't listened to episode 540, please go back and do so. Today, I'm bringing back on the show, Jody Lamb is our special guest. She is an author and an expert on the topic of adult children of alcoholics. We left off talking about some of the things that people feel, and you and I had a conversation kind of off air where you mentioned this experience where someone came up to you and like whispered. By the way, mm-hmm. I've never told anyone, but my father was an alcoholic. Why do we have so much shame, either as adult children of addicts or someone who's in a relationship 
with an addict or someone who's struggling themselves? Why is there so much shame around this? You know, we in our families, we've been taught to not talk about these problems. And so we develop very early on shame tied to that. And to me, it's very sad that here we are in 2020 when we have so much opportunity through the internet to share stories and to be educated that we still have this shame. It is so common and our reactions to it are completely normal. Mm. When someone is diagnosed with cancer in your family, yeah. people are inundated with notes of support. People show up with lasagna on your porch. And we really don't have that when there's someone facing addiction in our families because we are ashamed and we don't talk about it and we don't share about it. And I really encourage people to start opening up to one another, to your close friends and family, because odds are that they have experienced something similar. They can be there with you on the journey. And yes, I have had so many people message me and stop me in the hallway and tell me about their experiences that they might not have ever told anyone mm. the experience because they're so ashamed. And when I tell them that millions of people have gone through this experience, are going through it, and there are so many resources, you know, especially for adult children, for spouses, and for those who have children, adult children who are facing addiction, there are so many resources today and you can be supported. And so you need to let go of that shame and embrace the help. Brene Brown obviously has become one of the authorities on shame, and she describes shame as an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and unworthy of belonging, mm -hmm. which is, it's sad for me to imagine someone feeling, I mean, I can't even allow myself to think about what that would feel like to not feel worthy of love. Mm-hmm. Part of it is that you feel like it has something to do with you, right? If someone is diagnosed with cancer, that is something that is completely out of your control. Yeah. You had no cause of that. Yet people feel like they have somehow contributed to a loved one's addiction. That's where shame comes into play. And we understand the science of addiction today. There's so much great information out there you know, it really affects the brain and it has nothing to do with who we are. We can be the best parent, spouse, child. And once addiction has a hold of someone, that's really it. And it takes a lot to help that person heal from addiction. So then what is our obligation? What is our role to our parents? So all we can do is continue to do our only job in life, which is to take good care of ourselves. And in that process, we can think clearly and be there for that person if they want the help. Yeah. The biggest mistake that we often make when we love people with addiction is that we're so close to it that we often enable their behaviors <laughs> and their problems. And it's so hard to see that because you feel like you're being a good loved one. This is your job. This is mm. what families do. Mm. This is what friends do. And we often then prevent that person from really falling to the point where they need to stand up and get help and take care of themselves. Mm. So I went for years with that with my mother. 
it just absolutely, I would, you know, pour out bottles of alcohol. I would, you know, I was cleaning and making sure being independent. So she really didn't have to have all of the parental responsibilities. And that really prevented things from falling to a point that I think my father and other ones in the family then would have then had to step in and do something or, you know, make a big change. Jody, I know there are so many people listening right now who are thinking that they have more time. There's going to be a more ideal day, or maybe this person hasn't hit rock bottom yet. Is there some truth to the notion that an alcoholic has to reach rock bottom before they'll actually get help? Yeah, I think that people hear that term rock bottom Mm -hmm. when addiction is talked about, and it's hard to really define what that is. And people have fear, is rock bottom death? (laughs) You know, am I going to let this get to a point where I'm going to lose my loved one? I want to play for you this message from someone who you can just tell that they are pleading with the partner, the person who who has the opportunity to do something and it might feel like they're loving their partner or not trying to upset them, but you can just hear in her message how she wished her own father would have done something. It's such an innocent thing to do. My dad enabled my mom purely out of love. He loved her so much. He didn't want to piss her off. He didn't want to make her mad. He just wanted her to be happy. I think partners of alcoholics always think there's another day to try, you know? Like, okay, well, we won't talk about it this week. We'll talk about it next week. Oh, we won't do it now. We'll do it then. Oh, it's not the right time. Listen, there is no right time. It Eventually, that alcoholic's life will come to an end and it will happen. And In my experience, the people I know who are alcoholics, they're usually pretty high functioning. And a high function alcoholic is super smart. They can talk you out of an intervention. They can convince you they don't need help. When you know in your gut as a partner that this is a bad situation, and I know you know when it is, you have to elicit help from professional interventionists. And my message is that you really shouldn't be waiting for anything. Mm -hmm. You can start today to focus on you. You don't have to reach a rock bottom point. You shouldn't get to that point. Start getting educated. Start focusing on yourself. And once you do that, the clearer your mind becomes. And when that clarity arrives, it will help your loved one. So there's a whole approach to When you love someone with addiction and intervention, there's a lot of research about the craft message, which method, which is really providing love and support for someone battling addiction. And that is not possible to even approach that effective method if you don't have a healthy mindset for yourself. So Mm. the very first step is to really start focusing on yourself and healing. And people might say, well, I don't have time for that. This is so consuming. I need to just fix this problem for my loved one. But I've heard the stories hundreds or thousands of times from people that they can't get to that place of clarity. It's not possible to help your loved one if you don't first help yourself. What about that person who is like, well, it's just not that bad. And 
when it is really bad, then I'll know it's time to do something about it. Or then I'll know we're at rock bottom. Or then I'll know, okay, we have to deal with this now. Or that person who's thinking, yeah, I need to get help for myself or get help for somebody else, but this isn't a good time because I'm pregnant or we just started a new job or we, you know, all the reasons. Speak to the timing of that and knowing when is the right time. If you're thinking about it right now, it's the right time. Hmm. But Jody, my whole life could explode. My husband could lose his job or he might leave me or she might leave me or she might refuse treatment. Like, what do we do with all those what ifs? What ifs are extremely powerful. I have been dealing with the what ifs my entire life because you know why? We develop very good imaginations. And what I have learned is life is extremely short. And you don't know what's going to happen. You can't predict the future. And if you are already thinking about worrying about this problem and how it's affecting you, get started now just in the education of it, right? What is the harm in reading books or following people who are speaking about this topic? And start that education journey because that's where you start to see the path to find for you. Mm. I always wanted someone to just give me a playbook of how Mm. I handle this. Just Mm. tell me how to fix my mother, how to fix me, and everything will be great. I can move on with my life. There is no playbook. And you're never going to get to a point where this terrible thing happens, and then here's the big solution. You do an intervention or whatever happens. You have to start educating yourself to build your own playbook because Mm. everyone's situation is unique and we have the opportunity and the resources to get educated and there's no harm in starting that process now. How do I know if I'm enabling? What are some of the signs that we're making things worse? (laughs) Good question. So if you find yourself thinking about solutions to problems that have not happened yet. Let's say your husband, you feel your husband is drinking too much during the week, but you know he's getting up and going to work on time, and so maybe it's not really a problem yet, but you're thinking about the what if, if he missed a day of work or he skipped mm. his trip and you start having these conversations. And so you start doing things to prevent that potential problem, like talking to him the night before, maybe you shouldn't have that, or trying to do something to not trigger drinking because you think that you cause it in some way, or telling the kids that you really need to be well-behaved because we don't want dad to get upset or whatever the scenario is, that is enabling. Okay. Making sure that the person is getting up on time and or you're getting their clothing ready and you're doing all these things to make sure that they're not late. And I mean, the list goes on. I'm sure people can think of the ways in which they're preventing a disaster or a mess from happening. Mm-hmm. That is enabling. A very, very common enabling behavior for parents of children who have addiction is paying for things. Yes. So now we're talking about the caregiver, like the mom or the dad who's dealing with a child who is an addict is paying for things because that's what aren't we supposed to provide for them? You know, it's I've got a friend who deals with this right now and actually had a couple of friends where they just think the thought of my child being homeless or on the streets, I just can't bear that thought. Yeah, it's a horribly painful experience. 
for parents of those with addiction. There, there's that movie with Steve Carell, Beautiful Boy, <sighs> that really, I think, depicts that in a beautiful so well. way. Oh, yes. Yes. And that's a great example because you feel like as a parent, you're supposed to provide for. But I sat through so many meetings, Al-Anon meetings, where you would hear the, the families describing the situation. And then someone would say, are you paying for this person's car and car insurance? Yes, I am. So you're enabling him. He has money now to buy whatever substance it is. Yes, that's accurate. Then you can hear you are enabling this problem. And so it's very difficult to then make the decision, I have to stop this because mm -hmm. it feels wrong. But usually when it feels very wrong, it's absolutely the right thing for you and for that person. Wow. Wow. That's heavy. But it's so true. All right. We're going to take a quick break for those of you who are interested in learning more about coaching with myself and my husband, Brett. I want to share with you an opportunity to work with myself and my husband, Brett. As you know, if you are a regular listener of The Shaleen Show or you follow me on social media, like family is central to everything that I do. It's how I have lived my life. It's how I've built my career, how we've kept our marriage together. That's been our central focus. It's one of the reasons why I created a journal that would help me to align my life in such a way that I could accomplish all the things that I wanted to do, things that made me feel purpose-driven, made us feel purpose-driven, allowed us to build our business, to do so in such a way that we were able to honor our family. And we've heard from so many of you that you struggle in that area. And that's why we are offering a coaching program that isn't for everybody. Brett and I have decided we want to work with those of you who are go-getters. This doesn't necessarily mean you're a business owner. It means that you have things you want to accomplish. You have goals that you want to master. You want to do something more, but at the same time, you struggle with how to balance that with family. So we're doing something called Push Goal Coaching. You can learn more about it by going to pushgoalcoaching, that's hard to say, .com. I can't promise you, based on the time or when you're listening to this, that it will be available. We're going to do 30-day coaching sessions. It is a new adventure for us. We've been doing this privately for years, but it's something we realize there's a need for others, something we wanted to make very affordable because this is, we believe, our purpose. We believe we've really figured out a way to do it, and we want to help others by sharing our systems, by sharing how we were able and continue to this day, honor our family and still master our goals, but do so with family in mind. So if that's you, if you are a family-oriented person, and you're also interested in goal setting and goal mastery. If you're planning on starting a family and you want to know how to set yourself up for success now, this is for you. We've priced it affordably under $200 for 30 days of virtual coaching with myself and my husband. To learn more, please go to pushgoalcoaching.com. All right, let's get back to our show, shall we? I was really surprised how many people called and expressed not just anger towards the alcoholic parent, but a lot of anger and resentment towards the parent who was cleaning up the mess, the parent who was, you know, sweeping it under the rug, trying to manage things, trying to hide things, enabling, if you will, the parent who they see had the ability because they were sober to protect them or to do something about it, and they didn't. So again, this always feels like someone's describing my story, right? Mm. It's, it's a very bittersweet feeling. 
it's very common to have resentment for that the other parent because you feel like they should be doing something to have prevented this to have stopped it. So I felt a lot of resentment and anger to my dad in my teen years once I got to the realization that what was going on was really affecting me and I felt like he should have done something more. The reality is that addiction is a family illness. And if you don't have the education or the resources, naturally you have no idea what to do, how to handle it. My father did the best that he could with the knowledge and education that he had about addiction. He was just trying to hold it together and he was thought that he was making up for where my mother was falling down as a parent. And I wish that I had been able to give him the knowledge that I have today because it would have saved him so much pain and we would have all been better for it. But at some point you have to recognize the illness that all of your loved ones had in this, including yourself, and forgive. Mm. And that's a very difficult thing to do. And I've heard from so many fellow ACOAs who say, I just can't do it. I'm angry. I had a sucky experience. And no, I can't do it. Mm. But for me, it was very important that I had that forgiveness step so that I could shed that resentment and anger and tell them that I really understood addiction and that they did really the best that they could under the circumstances. Mm. So we've talked about some of the signs to recognize if, in fact, you are enabling things like looking for solutions before a problem even happens, fixing things after problems do happen, downplaying what's going on or, or even hiding it, and then also paying for, making it easier for this person, more comfortable for them to continue. Are there any other signs that we might not realize are enabling behaviors? If you stop and think about how you're spending your time, if you're spending a lot of time when you're driving in the car, when you're cleaning around the house, you're thinking about this person and their problems and how you can solve the problems for them. If you're taking your precious time on this earth, thinking about their problem, mm. You're embedded in a problem that's not yours, and that's probably driving a lot of behaviors that you can't even see today. How is it that keeping these things kind of under wraps and not talking to our friends, our coworkers, our loved ones, our pastor or therapist, what impact does that have on us, the person who's dealing with someone who has an addiction, and the family who's dealing with addiction? So if you're not talking about this extremely worrisome experience, you're preventing the people who love you from helping you. So the majority of people going through this, they don't think about it as something that they could talk about openly because of that shame tied to it. And because we're not talking about it, we're not expressing it, then we're trying to deal with something all on our own unnecessarily. And it's such a common problem. It's likely that your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, your people you know at church have gone through or know someone who's gone through a similar circumstance and could help you. Yet we feel like we can't talk about it because it's such a personal, shameful thing. And that really builds up inside. Mm. 
and I assume the codependent partner or the child of an alcoholic, I assume you get really good at pretending like everything's okay. When I was in my 20s, on the outside, people would say that, you know, I was very happy, healthy person. I never let the anxiety and the stress that I was going through inside visible because I got really good at hiding that. I learned that as a kid, uh, how to do that. And it got to a point where I was so miserable and I felt so hopeless about the future that I knew that if I didn't do something, you know, that I, I would die early. Something mm. would happen. I'd have something horrible would happen to me. Wow. And, and it was that kind of breaking point where I finally said, okay, I need to get help for myself. And that's when I started on my journey. So I hope that people don't let it get to that point. Because especially today, we have so many resources and people willing to, oh, even true. if nothing else, just to be a, someone to listen. You know, I've said many times before on this show, I'm, it's not my quote, but secrets keep us sick, right? And when, when one person in the family is keeping a secret, it's not a secret because the whole family is then infected by the secret. Secrets keep our family sick. Secrets are a horrible way to live. My husband has told me many times that like the day he finally, I finally brought it out into the open and, and confronted him on the fact that he was gambling was like the worst day of my life. But he says it was like the best day of his life oh, wow. because he was <laughs> finally free of the secret. And he knew that there was a lot more, like I was going to uncover it all and it went very deep, but that he knew like, okay, I couldn't hold it down, the secret down any longer. And it was killing me. It was eating me inside. Like mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, when you grow up keeping a secret, it's uncomfortable, but that's what you're very familiar with. So then you want to, you feel like you're supposed to continue to keep secrets. So how do we break that chain that let's not talk about, let's sweep it under the rug, let's keep the secret. And what do we need to know about the impact it has on families? Yeah, absolutely. I think what you described is exactly what adult children of alcoholics experience when they finally openly talk about how they felt and how all of that experiences, all those experiences affected them. When I went to my first Al-Anon meeting, I was so reluctant to go, right? I just thought this is going to be a waste of time. And once I started speaking, I said, my life is completely out of control. I had never uttered words like that because it, my whole life it had been I needed to fix my mother's problem. It was always about my mother and her problem and never about me. And I, when I sat in that room and I told my secret in front of a room full of strangers, it was exactly as you described with your husband. Uh -huh. I felt like I was free now to actually take steps to heal myself. And I walked into that room. I really didn't even know that I had a problem myself, that my secret was that I was ill. It wasn't really that my mother had this problem. So there's so much power in letting that go. And I really encourage people because in addition to my own sense of freedom of letting go of that secret, once I started talking about it openly with my mother and other members of my family, they had a very similar reaction. Mm. There, was, there was a sense of relief. Like we were shining a big spotlight on what we had worked so hard to bury, and we were much closer for it. Wow. That was critical. I couldn't have the relationship that I had with my mother and other members of my family if we didn't expose the secret. 
did you fear how she would respond or how other people would respond? And did that prevent you from talking about it or writing about it? When I started writing and talking about this openly, I was so afraid of my mother's reaction and other members of my family. Mm. I was afraid that they would feel like it wasn't my role to shine a spotlight on our family's secret. Yeah. And my mother's reaction actually shocked me when I, I wrote my first book. I gave her the copy and I, I literally I felt sick to my stomach about her reaction. Did she and know you were writing it? She did. And we didn't talk much about it. And then I thought, well, I'm going to wait until I finally have you know, the, the publisher sent me the first copy and I can give it to her. I gave it to her and she called. And I just thought, this is it. You know, this might destroy our relationship forever. I might not have a, a mother anymore. And because it was so autobiographical and I thought she would take it very personal that I'm telling people what, you know, went on in our household and her reaction absolutely stunned me. She said, you know, what you described is very much what I experienced when I was growing up with my father. And we'd never had talked about her, wow. her experience growing up with her alcoholic father. And yet here we were, two adult children of an alcoholic, sharing a very similar experience. We had a bonding moment and an understanding of one another that we'd never had before. Wow. I would assume that story sheds light on the fact that if we don't lift the shame, we continue the cycle. The more we try to live in that shame and just not think about it and avoid it and keep it a secret, the more likely we are to repeat these cycles and how life could have been so different if your mom had come forward with her own truth when she was a young adult and not let it get to that point. So how do we avoid it? Why is it that some people, man, their family life was a blessing because they realized, well, that's how I don't want to be. That's how I don't want to live. That's what I don't want my children to experience. And then there are those people who they repeat it. And I don't think anyone walks into a situation wanting to repeat what happened. In fact, I have so often heard them say, I'm never going to be like my mother or father. I'm never going to let that happen. And yet we find ourselves repeating some of those behaviors and addiction and what we, how we learn to think is very powerful, repeats itself over and over again because there's a genetic and environmental component. And, you know, I wish that there was some way that, that you could, you know, easily change that and just decide I'm, I'm going to be different. But you do have to put the work in and do the education and start talking about it. But once you start that process, you want to do it. It feels good. Yeah. So when I was in the Al-Anon meeting and I, that first time and I was exposing my secret to all these strangers, I'll never forget there was a man sitting across the table from me and he pushed a box of tissue across the table because of course I was sobbing. And he said, you know, you put the keys into the ignition, you've pulled out of the driveway and you are headed down the road. Your life will forever be better after this moment. And he said it with such confidence because he'd been through it himself. Uh. And so I thought, and he was right. It was scary exposing that secret and starting that journey. But I don't even think I would be alive today if I hadn't had that moment, honestly. Wow. So you have to take us the big scary step because your life depends on it. Your only job is to take care of you. How dare you, Jody? You're making me lose my <laughs> lashes. You guys can't see me, but uh, unless you're watching this, but that's really super powerful. For me, I know I wouldn't say, you know, 
we went public or started talking about Brett's gambling at first. I don't know if shame is the right word that I would use, but I did have a sense of like humiliation. Like I felt like it was a reflection on me. Like how could I be so dumb? How could I have missed all of this? How could I have allowed this to happen? And to lift that feeling, shame or embarrassment, whatever label you want to give it, in order for me to lift that, I had to unhitch myself from what happened was not a reflection on who I am. The same way if I'm in a car accident, that's not humiliating. That doesn't say that I'm a bad person. It doesn't mean that I'm unlovable. It's something that happened. It's a tragic thing that happened. And it's part of what's going to make me stronger. So I think it is important for us to untether ourselves from the belief that what happened or what we've even done in the past has a reflection on who we are as people. Mm -hmm. It's not easy to detach, right? Because you feel so responsible for other people. But, you know, I've reached to this point where I recognize that I am a you know, distinct, separate individual from my family. And I no longer feel like there is any connection to the struggles that my family has had. And it's hard to get to that point, but once you do, it's as a matter of fact as what you described, you know, a car accident. This is a very, very common situation for so many families. You know, I want to wrap this up, this conversation about shame and guilt and the secrets and how important it is for us to recognize our own enabling behaviors and what to do about them and to spot those things in ourselves. And it's all really very much boils down to self-awareness and growth, which is why you listen to the show. Obviously, you are a Shaleen Show listener because you believe that you have a better life to live, that you could be a better person. And part of that is sometimes doing the painful work and looking at things from our past. I think that the last thing I want to talk to people about when it comes to lifting the shame and the enabling is how important it is to give ourselves grace. What wisdom do you have for us, those of us who are struggling with this and we know it's going to be a journey? How can we be kind to ourselves? So the first thing to recognize is that you are completely normal. You had a completely normal reaction to what you experienced. And because you spent so many years in an environment and you were really programmed to think and behave a certain way, that really takes time to reprogram and learn how to behave and think in a different way. So it is truly a journey. You will have some stumbling points. You'll feel like you're reverting back into your old ways of thinking and new circumstances will arise or a tragic event will happen and you'll find yourself very easily jumping back mm -hmm. to how you used to think and behave. And that's okay. Because it truly is a journey. You have to then stop and maybe relearn some things and spend some time remembering that it's your only job in life to take care of yourself. So yeah. forgive when you make those mistakes along the way, because at some point you'll look back and you will be astounded by how far you came. Mm, that's huge. Jody. thank you so much for being here with us today. I really appreciate you so much. You are a wealth of resource and wisdom for people who are in this, are struggling with it, or think that they've moved past it, but want to just understand it maybe a little bit better. First of all, your YouTube channel is youtube.com, and I believe it's forward slash Jody M. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Jo Jody M. Lamb. Jody M. Lamb, L-A-M-B. And of course, 
Those links are in our show notes. People can connect with you also by going to your website, jodylam.com. Got tons of resources there, plus a free book, which is amazing. The title is Seven Things That Change Everything. And this is a free book. I created it because I wanted to share what I have learned over the last 11 years on this journey. It's what I tell people when they reach out to me. I've talked to people all over the world about this and wanted to make it available to as many people as possible. So this is about learning how to start this journey. If you you realize that, yes, you are an ACOA, what does that mean? You know, now what? It kind of answers that question. Here are the next steps to take and the realizations that will really help you on that path to create the life that you want. That's awesome. And Jody, thank you so much for being a guest here. I want to mention to everyone, our next upcoming episode, we are going to talk about the solutions. Like how do you get an addictive partner, parent, loved one? How can you get them help? What can you do? What can't you do? How to get help for yourself, all the different resources, some suggestions on and how to navigate those waters. There is hope. I mean, you are such a true testament to that. Like, look at how many lives you're helping just by sharing your own history and your own experiences. And it is possible to not only go on to live a very productive, happy life, but to help perhaps millions of people. It's pretty cool. I have learned so much from other people's stories that this really just feels like a way to pay back Uh. for all of the people who've inspired me through their stories. And for some, they might prefer not to talk about it. And it's it's a very personal journey. And that is absolutely okay. Mm. And for others, they might have some catharsis in talking about it and blogging about it. And so I encourage you, if you're thinking, if you'd like to start sharing about that, that there might be someone Mm. who would love to hear your variation of the common story. Yeah. Thank you, Jody. Appreciate you. Thank you. How do you find, how can you trust the marketing that we see on meats, right? Unfortunately, so many companies are now labeling their meat as grass-fed, and they're using that term very loosely. You want to look for grass-finished meats. And that's why Brett and I, I've talked about it before, We only shop with ButcherBox. In fact, we have our meats shipped to us monthly. It's something that many of the people on our one-through-one method use. They ship anywhere in the United States. You can curate your box. You can decide what you want in it. And once you try grass-finished beef from animals that have been humanely raised, and they go to great extents, not just to verify the way that the animal was raised and how they ate and that they are free of hormones or anything like that, but this is a company that is devoted to really caring about how the animal was raised and even that it was humanely treated in death. And I know that's a horrible thing to talk about, but frankly, I'm of the mindset that we should be eating more plants and fewer animals. And if we are going to eat animals, we need to care about how they were treated, what they ate, and how that's going to have an impact on our health. So I encourage you to look into ButcherBox. Like we love it. Our son Brock gets it delivered. Ashley Sweeney, who's our program director for the One Through and Method, her family also does ButcherBox. And right now they have an awesome special for anyone who listens to The Shaleen Show. You can go to butcherbox.com forward slash Shaleen and they've put together a special offer just for my listeners. You guys, once you try it, you'll be like, what was I eating before? Like it's completely different, completely different. It comes shipped to your door. 
It's frozen. They've got incredible customer service. You know, that's also very, very important to me. And I highly recommend you look into it. You won't go back. I promise you that you will not go back to eating conventional meat. It just makes it so much more convenient. Again, butcherbox.com forward slash Shalene. 